0: Hey guys, Brandon here. We'll get you to the show in just a second. And if you want to listen to That 90s Baseball Pod early and ad-free, make sure to sign up at patreon.com slash that90sbaseballpod. Subscribers at any level get the show as soon as it's created, early and ad-free. Now, for our sponsors, we have ePare, which is reasonably priced trendy kitchenware. That's ePare.com promo code 10 T90BP10. So that 90s baseball pod, T90BP, with 10 on either side. Symbol.app, that's S I M B U L L.app, is the stock market for sports. If you use the promo code BENDER, you get a free week of Symbol Gold. Hinterland Coffee in Minnesota is a freshly roasted coffee experience every single week. Monthly subscriptions get 10% off. Go to hinterlandmn.com. Three Star Sports Cards. You can find them online or in person in Bloomington on Lindale Avenue or in Little Canada on Rice Street or threestarsportscards.com. And finally, Humility Chains. Royce Lewis's mom, Cindy, makes stylish, affordable chains and necklaces and bracelets that go, uh, the proceeds go directly to the Nigu Foundation to help children fighting cancer. So a portion, again, of those proceeds go to the Nigu Foundation to help children fighting cancer cancer more than 20 styles of chains and bracelets are available they're affordable they look great i'm wearing mine right now i highly recommend them it's humility chains on etsy so look up etsy and then search for humility chains and now on to your show Good day, good day. It is that 90s baseball pod. We are back here for episode number 10. I'm your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. And my right-handed friend, he goes by Greg with two G's Greg Olson at Greg Olson30 on Twitter. How are we doing, man?
1: Doing good. I'm excited to um, talk to our guest today.
0: Yeah. And so if you're first of all checking us out on YouTube, we appreciate that a lot. If you're checking us out on Patreon. We appreciate that even more because you're giving us some of your money, which uh, <laughs> we definitely prefer. But again, it's uh, it's cool just to have you here. So if you see us on YouTube, you already see our guest. He is former big league lefty, Greg Swindell. Welcome to the, the project here, uh, Greg. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thanks for
0: having me on. I'm, I'm a little worried we're going to have trouble differentiating uh, Greg's on this show. So I'm glad we're doing a Zoom with video and um like I said too if you're doing this via Patreon you're going to get this right away uh the new thing we're doing with Patreon is as soon as it's recorded I put up the raw audio no ads nothing anybody who pays for a Patreon subscription a monthly at any level will get this podcast as soon as it's released youtube gets it on wednesday and then on friday the masses on spotify itunes stitcher google play Libsyn. Carrier Pigeon, however you get your podcasts, we'll get it. So we're going to kind of stagger it. Now, this week's a little bit different because I had some illness and Greg had, I believe, a a charity golf tournament to play in or some kind of golf tournament to play in. So so we're structuring it a little bit different. But uh, how did that go for you, Greg? How how, with Double G, Greg, I guess. How did that go for you?
1: (laughs) Oh, it was good. It was a good group of guys and playing in uh, the Bruce Pearl, Charles Barkley outing. So... Always fun. Like I said, good, you know, good group. And then that night I had to, I had to, my class that I teach. So it was a long day and uh, didn't want to, um, didn't want to waste your time.
0: Oh, that would never happen.
1: <laughs> I feel like I'm
0: wasting your guys' time. So we'll hopefully not do that here over the next hour or so. Again, very excited to have you on, Greg. Last week we had uh, big Ben McDonald who told stories for an hour and change and I don't even know that I was necessary. I hate to admit it, but I think Greg and Ben really carried the program. So if people haven't listened to that, they can find it on any of their podcast platforms, but also YouTube. I think it was a pretty good video, even if people had to look at me. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of fun, Greg. Uh, you know, I I don't know how often do you how often do you go on podcasts and stuff? Are you uh, are you excited to get on here with us, or are we catching you at a good time? <laughs> <laughs> I've,
2: I've done a few. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it. It's it's good to to get back into the swing of being on camera and getting ready <laughs> for next year, I guess.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, I guess I got to ask um, again, since we're doing this for uh, Patreon and all that, we're not going to have any ads. I'm going to try to learn how to put ads on the bottom of the screen here for YouTube so we can still do it, but um, we're going to dive right in. And I got to know uh, how did you meet Oli, or Where did you guys become first acquainted Because I know it's definitely not 1997 in Fort Myers, Florida, when you're both with the twins.
2: I think we first met just playing against each other. And then we went on a trip to Japan. We were on the Japan all-star team in 92, I believe it was. That is correct. Yep. He was with the Orioles. I was a free agent. I I wore my Cincinnati uniform that that year ended up signing with Houston after that trip and um but that's that's how we met and we had we had a pretty good team and a pretty good time over there
1: yeah that was uh that I mean I try to describe that team it's it's almost comical the group that uh MLB threw over to uh to run over there well I think you we talked about that
0: team before a little bit you were talking about uh wasn't uh your center fielder was he Griffey was Griffey on your team that year the center fielder and you had I mean just all kinds of talent and um yeah, good to hear that you got to wear your Reds uniform. They didn't make you go out there in a, a uniform with question marks on it for your uh, <laughs> your next stop, like uh, Matthew Lesko on uh, those TV commercials, the guy with the suit that's got all the question marks. You got to uh, got to rep your Reds colors one more time before you signed elsewhere.
2: Yeah, the Charlton Norm was on the, on that trip as well, so the Reds were represented that trip. It was it was good. We I, I think we tied one and won seven. Um, I pitched in the first game. We played the Tokyo Giants. Uh Roger Clemens started the game, went five or four, and gave up a hit. And I told him if he hadn't given up that hit, we'd have thrown no hitter that night. Because I went four and didn't give up a hit after him. But it was exciting just to see Japan, see Tokyo, and travel around and all the cities and ballparks and get to know some guys in the league.
0: What'd you guys think of the competition level when you were out
2: there? Well, I mean only can speak from it. we we dominated them because I mean we were a major league all star team and a lot of us in our prime and um, it wasn't close at times but it, it it was it was good competition I think you see it especially now with the guys that are coming over yeah you know what
1: I mean it was funny I don't I I don't know if I told you but uh, you remember Larry Sheets he was a buddy of mine with Baltimore and uh, he ended up going over to Japan in ninety one might have been ninety two. And his general manager came up to me before one of the games, introduced himself, actually took us to lunch. <clears throat> and um, he's like, these guys, you know, actually believe that they can play with you because I, I, I guess the, the, the 90 trip went like five and four, something like that. Wasn't wasn't very good. And the general manager would just look at me He's like, I hope you kick their ass because they actually think that they can play with you guys. And I just looked at him. I was like, "Okay," and we ended up, like you said, turning around and and thumping it a little bit. But we had, I'm thinking about five Hall of Famers on there. I know Boggs, uh, Biggio, Griffey, Clemens should be. Um,
2: Larry Walker. Larry Walker. <laughs> it was. By uh, hair goes we, on. Um, it, we had Ozzy. We had Ozzy at Short he Short, um, That's six. Moses um, um catcher from Philly. Darren Dalton, um, Wade Boggs. <laughs> it was, it was, oh, we were
1: stacked. Yeah, it it was. Uh, and and like you said, we were all in our prime. You guys
0: both played on all star teams uh, once in your career. How did how did that experience compare though in terms of being? with your peers, um, again, not, not facing your peers necessarily. And, and I think I remember Greg, uh, Oli saying to that they sent you out there to prove that they weren't your peers, but what was it like, or how did it compare to being on an all-star team, which each of you guys did in your big league big league career as well.
2: Go ahead, Zeke. I made one, it was 1989. And that was really special for me because Nolan Ryan had, had made the all-star team. Him and I grew up idolizing him and I talked to him a little bit, you know, just pitching against the Rangers. And um, he did pretty well when he was in Anaheim as, as an angel in his career. So he was in the bullpen that, that night and I was in the bullpen and got all the young guys, Henneman, uh, Jeff Russell, all these guys. And, and no one got through warming up and he sat down and we were all, you know, young, first all-star games. We didn't know what to do. So I just thought to myself, well, I'm, I'm from Texas, I guess I should break the ice here. So I got Nolan a Gatorade and a, and a towel. And he said, thank you. And I said, well, Nolan, are, are you nervous? And he just kind of chuckled and said, you know, I'd be lying if I said I ain't. And that kind of that really broke the ice for the entire bullpen, because our buttholes were tight, <laughs> having to go in after Nolan Ryan into an all-star game. And uh, it just kind of loosened everything up. And it was a really special experience for me personally because Nolan was there. And then to pitch in the game and do well and, and pitch against, like you said, All-Stars um, and, and just have a good time. It, it was It's not as a big as spectacle as it is now, but um, it was a really good time. I enjoyed my only trip to the All-Star game. I don't think I realized that you only went once. It seems like, you know, you
1: were a perennial dude, you know, and uh, yeah, that was uh, the 89 one. That was a good one to watch. I remember uh Goobazaar telling me the story of, of when Bo came up against Russell and sitting in the bullpen and he just kind of looks around. And he goes, this is
2: not a good matchup. Well, and and, you know, Wade went back to back to open the game.
1: <laughs> I forgot about Wade doing that. Um, but to answer Brandon, to answer your question, the all-star game, you we we didn't get we don't get noted for going over as all stars and and you know going over and playing the Japan thing, and it's not ever noted on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference was you know one game, one you know the pomp and circumstance of the all star game, being around all these guys like he was around Nolan, you know my I was there the next year in Wrigley, and you know my thing was walking into the locker room and I'm sitting between Mark McGuire and Wade Boggs. And going, what am I doing here? Oh, in that clubhouse,
0: uh, you were probably sitting on their laps.
1: Yeah, that yeah, <laughs> it, it, was, it was tight. We we, yeah. we sat next to each other randomly. Um, but the uh, the trip to Japan was, it was I thought I, I, I thought it was a little bit more fun. It was you, you had eight, nine, ten days of playing with the best in the world, and you know just hanging out afterwards and, and going to dinner and and, and almost you know a team for a week and so got to know guys a little bit better I feel like you know I like you know got to hang out with Zeke and and all these guys and then I ended up playing with him you know five years later and then again in Arizona in 99 I believe um so you get to know guys a little bit better over the week any uh
0: any hesitation from you guys or second thoughts whatsoever when you were asked to go over there
2: Oh, no. The only question for me was what uniform was I going to wear? I didn't know. I'd, I'd never been to Europe. I'd never been um, that far on an airplane. I'd been in the United States and that was about it. So it was a, a trip of a lifetime. I've, I've gone back to Europe. I played a little golf over there since then, but um, it, there was no hesitation by me. I'm I just glad they asked me.
1: Yeah. I, uh, for some reason, I, t- I turned it down in 90 and I have no earthly idea why. And um it was just they, could you know, get like a, a phone call at Fenway Park at the end of the season, going, "Hey, do you want to do this?" And I was kind of like, I was exhausted by the end of the year. I was just going, "No, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I don't. I don't even know what it is." And then finally, I think somebody explained it to me, so I get invited in '92 and couldn't, like you said, couldn't pass it up. I hadn't been over to Europe, let alone Japan, so it ended up being. It was a great move. It was a lot of fun. It was just. Uh,
2: you know, had to keep the arm going for another two months. Then, then they threw the dollar signs and the meal money out there, and it was a yes, definitely.
1: <laughs> no, well, yeah. we, all, we all know how that goes. Yeah, the meal money was pretty good.
0: <laughs> so, Greg, growing up in Texas, uh, you were not drafted out of high school and ended up going to, uh, you know, obviously, uh, the University of Texas there in Austin. Um was there just a like like we talked with uh with with righty greg um you know it was just pretty obvious you're going to go to college was there any chance you thought you were going to get picked out of uh out of high school and or were you just kind of hands off i'm going to college and don't even bother
2: no i I was um 84 85 in Ah, in high school okay (laughs) i didn't throw hard i I had a good little roundhouse curveball not as good as always but It got over the plate and got people out. And I was on good teams throughout Little League and Pony League, and we all played high school together. So we won, we won the state championship, but my best friend, Rusty Richards was the first baseman. In high school, he was already 92 miles an hour. He was 6'4", batting 350, 400 from the left side, playing first base. So they were always after him. And, And looking at him, he eventually got drafted, but didn't sign, but he signed with the University of Texas. And they came to watch him one day University of Texas did, it actually, Doug Gassaway, the Philly scout, they liked Rusty, but they also said, you should take the picture, and when they told Coach Gus how hard I threw, he, he kind of laughed on the phone, he goes, no, but he, he throws strikes, and he gets people out, and he went, and so with that recommendation, I got the scholarship to the University of Texas, got stronger, and, and my velocity obviously increased once I got to college.
0: Now, you went there if I'm not mistaken, the year after they won the Natty, and then uh, we actually, I think Ben said last week that he was looking at schools and had gone to Greg. Do you remember where he he had gone? Where they had won the year before, and so he, he they were going to lose all their guys, and he didn't want to go there.
1: No, that was me in Mississippi State. Oh,
0: that, that's right, that's right. That was you in Mississippi State a couple weeks ago. That's that's yeah. right. So anyhow, though, you you do still end up going to Texas and actually uh, runner up twice while you're there, two sixty win seasons. Um, that had to be just a phenomenal experience to spend three years in Austin playing for, uh, for Coach
2: Gus. Yeah, it, it puts you on the map. I mean, at the time, in the mid-80s, University of Texas was the, the elite program, in my opinion, in college baseball. Now it's kind of a, a level playing field, and, and guys go everywhere, and all teams are, are good. So um, it was, especially in the state of Texas, um, I had offers to go to U of H, TCU, Rice, but um, Texas was the school. You had, I, we had watched them for the first few years. ESPN at the College World Series. My best friend's brother had played there in the late '70s, so it was it was set up perfect um, to go there. And it was yeah, it was a, it was a life changer, definitely. I didn't know if I would I would pitch as early as I did. The two guys got hurt in a car accident uh, right before the, my freshman year started, and I got I was able to pitch. And first outing didn't go well, but after that. Things went well. My first win came against Arizona State in Tempe with um, Bonds, Devereaux, and McDowell. Wow. Uh, and the outskirts <laughs> team. So when, when, I, when I got those guys out, I was like, okay, okay all right, I, I can pitch at this level. And my confidence grew. My fastball that night was 92-93, and then it never never went back for some reason. <laughs> I guess the competition. Wow. So was,
0: was that the first time you'd seen those numbers, and were you pretty uh... – Electrified by that, I'd have to imagine so. I mean, I've never seen those numbers unless I've been driving and, uh, you know, about to be in trouble, but uh, that had to be pretty great.
2: Yeah, it was. It was because my first, I started the very first game of the year and went three or four innings, gave up some runs, just didn't feel well uh, on the mound. And then when we got out there, the Chris Bear and I, I, like I said, Deborah O'Bonzon and McDowell and Wakamatsu and, and Roni Kuchin, all these guys, mm-hmm. you had to have good stuff. And from, from then I relieved Bruce Ruffin started that game and I came in after him and he only went four and two thirds. So I got that, that Hawk win where I p- end up pitching the rest of the game. But um, yeah, the velocity showed up that night and, and never went back until like 20 years later when I got out of the big leagues. <laughs> <laughs> What was your, uh,
0: what was your relationship like with coach Gustafson and, and what's it like now?
2: Coach Gus, he, yeah, he's, um, not doing so well. He's um, I believe 90 years old now. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, he's not a young man. Texas had the super regionals last year and he showed up out there. Coach Graham was out there. Um, it was, it's, it's neat. We, we talk occasionally guys go see him some, but he's, he's starting to to not remember a lot. So, um, it's, it's sometimes tough to see him in that situation and his, his kids. We're, we still have a good relationship because, um you know, as long as he was at Texas and, and all the guys that have come through there, you still remain friends. And He's just he, – he's out of the game as much as he can. He just doesn't remember as much as he used to. He'll remember a game in 1975, but he just won't remember your name at, the, at this point. <laughs> are, you do, are you doing all the games for the Longhorn Network with uh, Zonk? We've been doing, yep. Yeah, we've uh, last few years it's been just me and him, um, but right now contracts up in December, so we're we're in limbo right now. <laughs> and we have we have a fall game coming up on Halloween on Longhorn Network that we're going to do. So um, I, I would I would assume I know it's not good to assume that, that we'll be back, but um, maybe eventually I guess we're going to be on that SEC network eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, a couple of years you'll be. Yeah, you'll be moving over here. Yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be pretty good to work with, uh, you know, a fellow fellow ball player. What's that? What's that? What's that like? I mean, I I've only worked with you know traditional play-by-play guys calling the game, that you know, and then you got Keith
2: Moreland, who you're working with. What's that? What's that back and forth like? Well, it, it, I think it, it's a special relationship because we both played at Texas. Both our numbers are retired at Texas. We did well while we were there, and we we love the University of Texas. <laughs> Um, a lot of times they have to get in our ear about being you know, too homerish, but, but we are the <laughs> Longhorn, so, and we, are, we did play here, so um, it, it's great. It's, it's not a typical, like you said, play-by-play guy. Keith tries to be perfect, but sometimes his Texas draw gets in the way, and he likes, he gets ahead of himself. But it's a beautiful thing because I I just laugh at him. He'll mispronounce guys' names all game. And I just subtly correct him as the game goes on. And it's two guys in a booth talking baseball. And and that's what I think is so unique. It's not your typical professional play-by-play guy giving you his blah, blah, blah. And it's two guys that have played the game at that level and at the next level. And and we have fun. Very good. Well,
0: I, I kind of noticed a fun thing too. In, in 84, you guys lost to Fullerton and their head man ended up being the next guy at Texas to, to hang around for a while in coach Augie. Did, did you ever get any kind of relationship with coach Augie? I know he had a, a pretty big legacy too. I remember uh, some twins guys that played for him. Jesse Crane comes to mind and a few other guys. Um, did you develop any kind of relationship with him and you guys ever talk about 84 at all?
2: Oh, yeah. If, if you wanted to have a relationship with Augie. I mean, he, he, whenever he spoke, a lot of times you had to get out of the thesaurus or something just because he spoke above you. They called him a Zen <laughs> <laughs> he, he could, he could just tell, first time I really listened to him talk, him and, and Keith Moreland in Omaha were having a conversation and I looked in his shirt pocket and I said, dude, give me some of that stuff you're on. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I go, whatever you, you just talked for an hour and I didn't understand a word you said but if Keith believes you I believe you <laughs> so the relationship I end up coaching volunteer coaching two years at Texas for Augie in 05 when Texas won the national championship so that it, it all worked out the relationship was great I didn't get my national championship as a player but I got one as a coach when I when I helped in 2005.
0: Well what was the lead-up like to the draft for you because uh A lot of guys that go as early as you did are in that one, one conversation. I believe uh, Greg said in his year too, he was in that mix at one, one uh, didn't end up happening. I think you went behind Jeff King, who ended up being a pretty good player. And that first round that you went in was loaded. I mean, absolutely loaded. Um, You went ahead of some pretty great players too. What was that lead up to that draft like, and how did you handle all that hype? Because it couldn't have been easy, even in that age where you know, there wasn't social media and ESPN showing everything.
2: Uh, it still had to be pretty great. Yeah, it was um, uh, kind of telephone and telegraph, kind of Morse code. We had to, we had to learn by – you didn't really know what was happening. You, you talked to scouts, you talked to people, and you knew you were going to get drafted early. Um, I remember one, one time I just did a picture on the mound at Ditch Ditchfalk Field, and they had a pirate hat, a Cleveland hat, a giant hat, like five hats around me. You know, which, where, which one's he gonna go? And once draft day came, you just, you waited for a phone call. I mean, literally when the phone rang and Joe Klein was on the other end saying, I've been drafted by the Cleveland Indians second overall and we'll be in touch in a couple days. days. <laughs> that was about it. Uh, there, there was a, film, a TV crew from Houston that was at the house, but it wasn't, there wasn't much hype. Um, I didn't know who went before me. I didn't know who went after me until later on in a few days when it all came out in the newspaper. And I um, always give Matt Williams a lot of, a lot of grief because he was the third, third pick after me and he had a pretty good career himself. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> three, three of the next four guys, all either um, could be in the mix to be hall of famers or should be. I think Kevin Brown is criminally underrated for his career. That sinker was uh, unbelievable. He probably probably broke more bats than anybody else, but um, yeah, just an, just an incredible round. Uh, how was your draft experience going forth overall different Greg compared to the just a couple years before?
1: I mean, it was the same you you know you hear talk and and um, you think you know what's going on and and you know maybe every once in a while your your coach you know Hal Baird for me would you know say oh Bobby Cox was in the uh, in the stands when we were playing in the SEC playoffs which ended up being my last college game and I was like wow that's cool all right and you just kind of move on you just you know you don't know what to believe and it's totally different than uh it is now and and like zeke said it was sitting around my apartment on draft day waiting for a phone call because that was the only place to get a hold of me and and uh you know i wasn't going to leave the house until i got a call so if i got drafted like the third round i was there all day plus tomorrow
0: Well, so you were only in the, the minor leagues for a, a very brief period. Now, you've got all of these on our uh, right-handed regular friend here. You were drafted second, he went fourth. You, you debuted in August, he debuted in September and you pitched, I think I have down here, 18 innings in the minors and, and Greg with two Gs had 24.1. So I don't know how you guys want to duke it out over that, but um, you guys both sprinted to the major leagues and this is, a, this is I guarantee, a stupid question but is there any part of you guys, either of you that wish you had been in the minors longer? <laughs> I know it's dumb. I know it's dumb, but any part, even a, a sliver, a sliver of you that says, oh, you know, I would have liked to have done this instead of going to the big leagues. And I know, I'm sure the answer is no, but I still have to ask.
2: Yeah. I mean, and people do, you know, the only grief we got were probably our teammates when we got to the big leagues. Cause I ended up playing with Doug Jones who spent 11 years in the minor leagues. And then guys, guys are like, Oh, well, you only spent, you pitched three games. I'm like, Hey, I wasn't going to tell them. No, they call me up. No, no, thanks. I really want to stay here in Waterbury, Connecticut, a little bit longer. Um, <laughs> no, it was, um, Hey, it, they don't do that these days. I couldn't imagine a guy pitching you know, Well, Finnegan did it a few years ago from TCU pitched in the college world series and the big league world series, but mostly guys, they shut them down. They, they shut um, I think Jack Leiter down this year he didn't pitch anymore after college so they kind of bring them along Cleveland was not very good in the mid-80s I got drafted and three weeks later I, I was pitching in Cleveland never been there in my life and it was quite an experience especially the outcome of my first game ended up 24 to 5.
0: Yeah I was going to ask you what were those early years like <laughs> in Cleveland because uh, for someone of my age and, and you're going to hate me for this but I was born the year you were drafted Um <laughs> i'm sorry for bringing that up You're uh,
2: good,
0: no? yeah right uh i'm i'm used to the mid 90s indians or cleveland yeah. baseball team whatever G- guardians i'm used guardians. to the there you go the mid 90s cleveland team where we were talking about recently with uh with ben where you get down to seven and eight and you got manny ramirez and jim tome playing third base down there that's not how it was i mean they actually made a movie about how bad the cleveland indians were or at least that was the main part of the movie what what was that like i mean you played with some pretty uh pretty interesting guys ron washington i see on here i see um mel hall i see otis nixon uh two of those guys two of those guys have episodes of crime and sports a podcast that i really enjoy dedicated to them mel hall's is a lot less uh wholesome than otis nixon's of course but um very intre- interesting characters uh, what what were those early years like in Cleveland? Because they had to be kind of difficult.
2: Well, I mean, I was in the big leagues. That that was where you always want to be. Um, I hadn't, hadn't really traveled the United States. I mean, Texas, we played in college and we played, um, we went to Arizona once and we went to Miami once. I had never traveled airplane to here and there. So personalities with Latin guys, with color guys. I mean, it was just a, a thing of getting used to and, you listen to them. Well, back then when you were a young player, you listened to the veterans. And and now um, it, it was, it was interesting. That, that's a good way to put it because now that you see the careers that they had, um, Steve Carlton came in there. I got to pitch three quarters of a year with, with Lefty who I idolized growing up. Um, Keith Hernandez came through. I get to, got to play with all these guys and it's, um, it was a great opportunity to just to kind of grow and and listen, especially when Lefty came. But yeah, when you look back, there were some there were some I wouldn't call them weird, but just <laughs> troubled people.
1: <laughs> now, yeah. hey, let me let me real quick. Hey. You, you talk about um, you talk about Lefty. What you know? And you talked about your just talking with Nolan Ryan. What did you What did you take away from you know? lefty if you can give us a small piece of it
2: well with lefty he, he was more he worked out he did all that the weight arm weight stuff so his workouts weren't as strenuous as Nolan. that's what i looked at with Nolan. this is all lower body legs and and things like that preparing in between starts um lefty was more i mean he he he, he was out there a little bit uh, he he liked to really get philosophical and talk about setting hitters up and that, that's where you learn is is when he would throw bullpens i would go down there and, and just listen to him and ron comrade was a pitching coach at the time and just listen to their banter back and forth during a bullpen when i threw a bullpen i just kind of got loose and worked on my spots lefty talked about this hitter that hitter what's he going to do here and and just um he was just a powerful man and for someone that idolized him growing up to be able to listen to him at work was, was just, uh, you couldn't put anything else around him. It. I mean, it was perfect.
1: Nice. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause you, you, brought it up about how just the difference in the worlds of when we, we came up, you know, you, you probably, I think Brandon and I did a stadium run through, um, one of our shows and, and the mistake by the lake was, was the worst stadium that I had ever, you know done a baseball game in um but like you said you didn't know it you know you didn't know this was the worst place to be and i'm not saying cleveland i'm saying the the stadium um and we had memorial stadium i'm sure you know you guys coming in as an opposing player was a dump but a good
2: thing thing about that was um you could order crabs in the locker room and have them after (laughs) the (laughs) game But it's funny because you, you just you didn't
1: know it, you know, you were so happy to be in the big leagues and being where you've always wanted to be. You didn't care that you were playing in a stadium that was, you know, not that great.
2: And um, that's putting you know, it. Maybe... Go ahead. That's putting it nicely, not that great. The home I side was wasn't right. the home side wasn't as good as the, the visiting side in Cleveland either. We it was small as well.
1: I could never figure out in, in the in the Cleveland municipal stadium how they got a visiting football
2: team in there to play the Browns. Because well, you could barely half, half of them probably had to dress at the hotel. When we had September call-ups on the home side, there was a small locker room up a thin flight of stairs. Or they put them in the little kitchen in the back. Jim told me when he first came up, shared a small locker in the kitchen. At Cleveland Municipal
1: Stadium,
2: <laughs> and now he's got a statue outside the new one.
1: So that's pretty good. No, it's funny because I just I, I would sit there and I'd go, you know, because best part of being there in September was that the, the field was drawn out, you know. So you'd be running past patterns all over the place during batting practice, but then I'd walk in and I'd look around. I'm like, how are how is the full Bengals football team sitting in here? It's, it's, we can't even get our September call-ups in here. They—they they are half of them are lockering in the um, in the crapper. You know, yeah. they, they throw some lockers across from the uh, the stalls, and you know that's where the um, I was going to call them freshmen, but that's where the rookies were.
2: <laughs> and no air conditioning.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, it was good.
0: What, what was it like going back to Cleveland in 96 when they had the Jake? Because obviously, uh, you know, you had gotten your baptism by fire in the old stadium, not entirely unlike uh, Greg with Baltimore going to Camden Yards, though he got to be there when that happened. Um, but when you got there and you got back and you're like, whoa, this new place, that had to be quite a nice, uh, nice improvement.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, that's what you wanted to see when I was there. I, I wanted to be around when, when the stadiums were full, when the stadiums were packed um, and, and be on winning teams. And eventually that's, they, they started bringing the farm system. They traded, they got Bayerga, Alomar when I was still there. So you could see the trend starting to go. Um, I, 96, Houston released me, um, Boston called. And when Cleveland called, I, w- I was familiar with it. I was familiar with Mark Wiley. I was familiar with just Cleveland in general. And to go to the new stadium, wear different colored shoes now. They wear blue ones, they wear red ones, they wear black ones, they get this. Um, but I knew I wasn't going to pitch very much. They, they were stacked. They had a good a good rotation, a, a great bullpen, but it was something to extend maybe getting me to 97. And eventually, I didn't pitch too much. They wanted me to go on the DL, so I'm like, oh, you can give me a flight home. I'll watch the rest of this season from, from Texas So. Uh, it, it was fun to see the Jake and, and back then I think they were selling out every night, the fans to see the people of Cleveland finally getting a, a winner and then making it to a couple world series 95. Actually, I went up and watched, um, I think 95 when they played the Braves, um, because I was good friends with Chuck Nagy and went and watched him pitch his game in Cleveland. So, um, it was great to see the city turn around. And now it's, now it's really weird because there is no Cleveland Indians anymore. It's, it's going to be the guardians and it's, it's going to be different.
0: Well, and I think, and I think I might've even said this on this show, but I don't think anything summed up the experience of being a Cleveland fan better than earlier this season, when Ahmed Rosario hit a home run and the fan that caught it was wearing a Francisco Lindor Jersey. And it was like, yeah, that's uh, the guy that replaced the guy hit a homer to the fan who was wearing that guy's Jersey. And to me that, it feels actually like the twins from the the previous decade but um what it just to me was very symbolic now if we if we back up just a little bit to those late 80s early 90s teams it seems to me cleveland was kind of a breeding ground for two different kinds of players it was young guys who ended up going somewhere else and and taking off and then guys kind of on the tail end of their career cuz you talked about keith hernandez Uh, Phil Necro was in his age 48 season. Um, trying to see who else, but, uh, but for young guys, I mean, Brett Butler took off after he left Joe Carter, um, Julio Franco, another guy who played until he was pretty much 50. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is on my list. A lot of, a lot of young guys. How did that tide turn from those guys leaving to when they started keeping guys like Albert Bell, like, um, I'm trying to think of who else they even kept as far as, it, no. yeah, basically the tide turned where they went from losing all those guys to keeping them. The at, yeah. At least through their first uh six seasons or whatever, before they started flipping them. Uh, How did that tide turn? How did they decide which players they were going to keep when uh they've been kind of pairing them off before?
2: I think they were, I think one, they're waiting around for Jacobs field. I mean, they were waiting around to where they could get revenue. Cleveland didn't. I mean, I saw it my first and second year in, they, they traded off Bud Black, they traded off Candiotti, they traded off all these guys, Joe. I mean, so when you were be- about to come become a free agent, they were just getting rid of you to get younger guys. That's what they did with Joe. They got, they got Byerga, they got Alomar, Chris James came over in that trade. They, they got some younger players, started to keep them and then started keeping Nagy, Tommy, Albert, Joey Bell. I mean, Kenny Lofton, all these guys that were coming to the system, and and then then you mix that in with a Eddie Murray, a Dave Winfield, a Oral Hirschheiser. so you have your young group, your veteran group. Um, that's a great mix. <laughs> I mean, and and it paid off for Cleveland, and it, it's it's something they did in the past. They just got rid of guys, and I was expecting them totally. That's what happened in my fifth year. I got traded to Cincinnati. Um, so it it was it was a good thing to see, and a good thing. Um, John Hart down and down. They they did a great job of, of getting them through some rough patch, but um, make them a, a powerhouse for a long time.
0: Yeah. was the writing on the wall that you were going to be moving or did it kind of take you by surprise? Because, I mean, you're coming off a pretty good season. You can kind of slice it however you want in terms of wins and losses, but you can only win the games that your offense supports you. Good ERA didn't walk anybody kept the ball in the ballpark, you know, do a lot of the things that you can control as a starting pitcher. Um was it like okay? I've kind of played it out here, and it's time to do something else, or did you get the sense that um, you were going to be in Cleveland for a while yet, and it surprised you? Like, was the was the trade just out of the blue, or how how did
2: it come about? No, they they had came at the end of the year and, and made an offer to a couple year uh, contract, but and you know I, I was about to be a free agent. I'd thrown two hundred innings for three out of four years or four out of five years, and. Um, you know, I was, I was going to test the waters. Uh, it was um, not a surprise. Um, eventually I was going to test the waters, but it wasn't a surprise. I was in Austin, got a phone call. We're having Mexican food and margaritas. And bartender says, hey, is there a Swindell here? I, that's how I learned. I got traded. I was <laughs> in Austin at Austin a Mexican food restaurant. And um, yeah, it, it was a good thing. I kind get of get, let out a scream because I mean, Cleveland wasn't that good. And I was going to Cincinnati, who was a, a couple of years off of World Series, and um, we had a good year in Cincinnati. But yeah, I, I could see, just because of what was happening prior to that, that, that they weren't going to keep me around. Uh, who, wait, who, wait, who called you at the restaurant? Your agent? Uh, my wife at the time. They had called home and, and told her. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she, because she's the only one that knew where we were. Yeah, I, I was gonna say cell phone. Yeah, so she, she knew where we were. <laughs> yeah, the bartender. Hey, Swindell or Swindell? I thought I was being punked or something. Oh, <laughs> Sounds like funny.
0: a prank call on Simpsons, except not with a funny name. You know, they call the bar. Uh, <laughs> what What was that stopover in Cincinnati like? I mean, you didn't change states, you know, not not terribly far away, but you played for Lupinella, Lots of young fun talent on that team in terms of, uh, Barry Larkin, Jose Rijo, some older guys too. Um, you know, it was a team that, you know, in a different place in, you know, maybe the wild card era, which was still two years, or I guess, technically three years away would have made some more noise, but, um, you know, it was pretty clear. They went and got you because they thought they had a shot to do something. Is, uh, is that a memorable year for you in terms of, uh, all that you went through in those big league years? Oh, yeah i got to
2: hit it for the first time since high school i was gonna that ask was, you about that i was gonna
0: ask you about that uh,
2: and uh, I, I get traded um i know a guy that has a batting cage is out there out in sugarland so i go over there and i hit for like an hour and i get a call from larry ross the next day he says hey if you start hitting take it easy don't don't just <laughs> and i can barely walk this day because i did not took four thousand <laughs> swings in the batting cage so um, that, that was good. Cincinnati, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, they traded. They got Tim Belcher. They got Dipp Roberts um, to go with, with Barry Larkin, Sabo, Hal Morris, and Joe Oliver. So the, the team was there. Reggie Sanders was up and coming in Cincinnati. So we had a nine-game lead at the break on the Braves, and I think they went something like 40 games over in the second half or 30 games over. They were unbeatable, and that's the beginning of their long run as well in the National League so we, we couldn't stop them but in a different era we probably would have made the playoffs but uh, didn't I, I won games I pitched again over 200 innings and I was about to be a free agent, so um, it was on
0: so no home runs in your career but uh, some doubles any memorable hits I know obviously uh, our friend Greg who got to hit as a reliever hit a home run but uh, saw- any, any memorable saw- hits well, I mean, I don't know if
2: they're memorable, but um, your first, you always remember your first. Yeah. I, Austin, I got a double in St. Louis, took me 22 at bats, but um, I got that first hit. <laughs> uh, I mean, I ended up, I think I had 47. <laughs> One cylinders. for 22? Well, no, eventually I got like 11 or 12 hits that year. So I got, I got on a roll. I got hot. Um, <laughs> uh, 40-something hits, 10 were doubles. I hit the wall three times. To the top of the wall in the dome whenever they just put those new scoreboards out there and left nice. any other time or any other stadium it's probably a home run and then some of those doubles probably could have been triples but i wasn't gonna push things you know yeah, <laughs> you, don't wanna, yeah. you
0: don't want to you don't want to show up to the position players um,
1: yeah. hey, with those wheels zeke i'm I, I, I do have a question on your reds days um how did you get out of cincinnati with your jersey to go to japan did you have to buy it?
2: I, I was I was staying there. I was staying in Cincinnati, so I was. They didn't let me work out there anymore. But I told them I might be going on this trip, and if I can wear their stuff, yeah. They, I mean, yeah, we, do, had, we had the sleeveless. We had the old ones and um, little oh, gray yeah. and white. Yeah, I still got
1: that. I still got that picture of uh, the the uh, the pitching staff in some stadium all day game. And um, no, I, I was asking to just see if. Visit, you know, might lead down the uh, Marge shot, uh, notoriously cheap. With hats I, had, I, had
2: to, I had to go in there, at, you know, like to a, a climb the rafters and get the bat out of the Empire Room. I had, I had, I had to be sneaky about it. I couldn't just walk out with <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's that's when that's when being good friends with the clubbies comes yeah. in handy. Well, I, was, I I can't. I don't know
1: if it was you. Some who I don't know who told the story about, you know them getting them taking your hats back at the end of the season
2: oh Uh, yeah i didn't i didn't keep my hat anyway but i she she extra donuts though she would she would leave out and put a price tag on like 25 cents if you want like a donut that's been there for three days and then the dog the dog was always out there i'm trying to get loose shot C six or whatever chomping at my shoes taking a dump on the field it was uh, she didn't know anyone's name she just knew my position so it was she loved baseball, but she was, she loved animals too. <laughs> what,
0: what what was that NL transition like? And the reason I asked not so much about hitting because obviously that's a big deal too, but in the early nineties with no interleague, this is in some ways learning a whole new league, uh, less player movement. It wasn't quite as, you know, there wasn't the trade deadline, so guys weren't moving as much. Was it a big adjustment for you to go from the AL to the NL, or was it, uh, you know, same game, same ball, same bases, all that stuff?
2: Yeah, I've, I've always stayed the same. I mean, you talk about the American League, the try for the three-run homer. You throw uh, ball speed when you're heading the count or behind in the count. Um, I, I never changed. I always – I never hardly threw inside. I, I, my fastball's away. My curveball's in the dirt. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't much different. Uh, adjusting, It was it was easier because you did have that pitcher to batting ninth. Um, you didn't have to pitch to really nine good hitters, and that's the only difference. It wasn't, it wasn't much for me personally because I never changed my style. What did you do when you came
1: out out of Texas? And, you know, obviously, okay, 18 innings in the minor leagues. I'm sure you you didn't pick up much. I don't think I picked up anything in the minor leagues for I me, mean, the coaches, because you're Greg Swindell. You're the number two pick in the draft, they're not going to do anything, you know? So what was the adjustment from going from basically Texas right to the big leagues? What did, you know, what did you learn that you needed to do, you know, almost immediately? Well, one,
2: I had over 500 strikeouts in college. I was not going to do that at the big league level. And I tried to do that early. I tried to get swing and misses. I tried to get strikeouts. Pitch counts get, get up. So basically early, you kind of had to learn how to You did throw your breaking ball behind in the count um, to certain hitters. You didn't do it to all of them. And you couldn't let up for any hitter. Uh, and that, that's, that was the biggest adjustment is learning to pitch instead of being a thrower. Not just throwing the fastball every pitch. You, you really had to to trust your catcher, trust your coaches, your scouting reports, and whatever you had. So Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't going to be just rare back and throw it by all of them. Although sometimes that was fun. Well,
0: what was free agency like, because you go back home, you end up signing with Houston. I got to believe that's, you know, every kid's dream to end up in the home state that they grew up in. And so you hit free agency, you know, you stay healthy to that point, which is especially true now, but even back then too, you know, um, getting that many years of service is, is not easy to do. Uh, What was that experience like and how rewarding was it to get to go to Houston uh, as a free agent?
2: Well, hindsight, I didn't didn't pitch like I wanted to. Um, So the the on-field aspect of it uh, wasn't up to par. Um, I could have gotten a lot more money to go other places, but I was I I wanted to come back home. I thought it would be um, fun. Uh, At the time, the Astrodome was supposed to be a pitcher's ballpark. (laughs) It changed once I got there. it was just a lot of distractions pitching at home. A lot of you know, family wanting tickets. A lot of people wanting this and that, which is okay. But sometimes when it's game day and it's six o'clock and you got to be out on the mound at seven, it's it's not fun. Uh, but being back home and and living in, living at home, and and having the kids start to grow up and wherever we played, we played in Arizona. We moved to Arizona. We played in Minnesota. I went up there during the summers, and we n- never kept the kids on baseball schedules. Uh, So being, being home and, and being around and being able to call it at home, which I grew up in Houston, I grew up 15 minutes from the Astrodome. So that was fun. All
1: right. Let's talk about your 99 team. Okay, I wasn't there in 97 long enough. We hung out a little bit, but, uh, I was kind of doing, I guess what you were doing the year before, just struggling through mechanics and everything else. Right. Um, the ninety nine team, and then uh, you sent me the text about Whistling Straits. I had forgotten. Yeah. I forgotten we went up there. That was that was good.
2: That was just um, what a trailer was the pro shop. There there was nothing out there. There was nothing out there because it was a brand new golf course. I mean, it was probably easier for us because it was more wide open and still windy. And you, you wanted the, the store. I, I remember, and I looked it up. The old twelve right there on the water. Uh, a par three the wind was blowing and, and I, I think i hit a three wood or something because it was so windy and i sliced it and it went down onto the rocks in lake michigan and bounced straight up onto the green and backed up 15 feet past the pen <laughs> and i remember telling myself and i was playing with you might have been in the group i go i didn't mean to back it up that much <laughs> so i had a birdie putt but my ball was actually in lake michigan hit the green backed up on and i think i still made par but it was um quite oh, an, it, it was a great experience because then after the morning round we got went over to black wolf run and played 18 more over there then we had a team party later on
1: yeah so, i do remember that because i got we, we ended up showing up late and and uh one of our teammates kind of let me know that we, we that wasn't appropriate with the uh the veteran people that we had showing up late to the team party, but. Well, you had, you had all the cash, so they couldn't
2: do anything without you. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a pretty good setup for an off day in Milwaukee. <laughs> it was, it was neat. Yeah, Whistling Straits, what's this place? Well, now it's had a U.S. Open and a Ryder Cup. It's, it's a pretty, pretty special golf course. Yeah.
0: Can, can I ask you what the Astrodome was like as a home, home stadium? Ooh.
2: Well, I, I tell you, one time I, I got knocked out of a game. Um, there, there were hollow spots in the outfield because they had to move it for football and baseball and take the turf up. Turf up. But I got knocked out of a game and I'm not I'm mad. I'm, I go up because it was a pretty good jump back up to the clubhouse about see, 100 yards, but it was kind of yeah. zigzag. And where the rails go, where, where you move the stadium whenever they, they put a, a different surface, I just kind of laid down on the stairs and was still just steaming and sweating. And I look to my left, and there's a dead cat, just stiff as a board, just eyes open, just staring right at him. <laughs> yeah, things, things, because the cats were in there to eat the rats. And that's the whole thing about the dome. It, it was kind of, it was It was getting old, and cats liked rats and rats were in there and it was a, it was a, it was a special place because I grew up going to watch the Astros growing up and being an astro buddy and going to see Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver but um a, a, a weird setup when when you see cats staring at you
1: Ugh. <laughs> hey, you know what you, you, you start and guys have some some weird um Visual images after you get knocked out of a game where you go, what you do, you know, uh, I talked to Ed when he got knocked out against Cleveland one game. And, and he goes, I got to the clubhouse and then ended up, you know, leaving Manila Stadium and going on a run while the game was still going on. Yeah. And, <laughs> I'm going, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd like that too much hanging around after, you know, you kind of get knocked out of a game. Usually by the time that I got knocked out of the game, the game was going to be quickly over. So I didn't have to endure too much.
2: Yeah, I remember I I jogged around a few cities after getting out of a game. Went around the dome a couple of times. I remember being in Cincinnati, running the bridges and listening to the crowd yell because I was no longer pitching in that game.
0: (laughs) Well, we've talked talked about Greg making zero big league starts. What was the transition like for you from starter to reliever? Because that transition basically began, I guess, 1996, after things fizzled out in Houston. But, um, when, when that transition happened, if someone would have told you, you would have had six more seasons in the big leagues, would you have been surprised or would you have been like, good, that means this is going to work. It was kind of a blessing.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was a blessing. I I signed with Minnesota to be a starter, um, went there with the intentions of, of making that team as a starter and rebuilding my starting career. Um, pitched against the Red Sox in a spring training game and Scott Hatterburg get a couple two run homers off of me. And Tom Kelly and and Dick Suss go, well we're we're gonna try you as a reliever. I said, okay, well this this might be my last ditch effort to to make this team and and stay in the big leagues. Um, it, it worked out my arm I I never had major arm problems. So my arm always bounced back and it was just a matter of learning at that point what it took to get ready to go in a game. And then once you were ready, how to maintain that, because you might not go in the game a couple nights in a row, uh, just adjusting to, to the preparation. Um, probably should have stayed a starter because I threw 115 innings out of the bullpen that year in Minnesota, which was like, really. oh, my God. I threw 65 games and 114 and two-thirds, I think. So I was, I was out there not for one inning. It was two or three. And I remember a trip to the West Coast where it was almost, I think, six out of seven days that I was on the mound and it wasn't wow. just for an wasn't just for
1: an out. Yeah, but you I, know, I mean for... our our guys need, you know, if you're listening to this, you need to understand that a, a, a quality lefty in the bullpen is sacred or it, it was, I don't know where it is now, but it, it it was like, you know, the bell cow of the bullpen and I I remember um and I was with uh I was with Kansas City in 95. And Bob Boone doesn't pitch me in a situation like the eighth inning I'm setting up Montgomery and it doesn't pitch me for like two or three days, but I'm up every night. And I finally, you know, get it, get to him on day three in Oakland. I'm like, Booney, dude, I'm up every night. These are kind of the situations that I've been doing. Why am I not pitching? He goes, you know, I looked at your numbers and, and I'm going to make you my late lefty now. Cause you're getting, I'm, I'm, I'm killing lefties. And I just looked at him and I wanted to cry because I'm going that means I'm up every night and I'm never going to get in unless the right situation comes up and I'm going to get George Pratt and I'm going to get all the, I was like going, Oh, please don't do that to me. I don't want to be the late lefty. And I just, I sat there. I, I mean, I watched you guys going. you know, it's, it's an art to getting ready, but knowing that you might not be in and getting ready and still trying to save something for tomorrow night, because you might be up twice and you might, your window might never come. It's just, it's brutal.
2: I remember, I remember a few times where I had warmed up two or three times during the game and they call down there and say, Get Zeke up. I'm like, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Go get, go take him out. I'll just get up and go in there. I don't need to throw anymore. I've been throwing all game. <laughs> but that, that was saying Mike Morgan, remember Mike Morgan? He, he had. No sense of when to stop throwing. I think we put ninety seeds in a cup one night in Minnesota, or Arizona, because he just didn't know when to stop. And I'm like, Mo, man, you, you got to stop. You're going to end up going out and throwing a hundred more pitches out there. And I think he did. I think he threw 180 something pitches that night, counting the bullpen. Oh, Mo. Hey, we got about we got about three minutes left. Give me a
1: give me a Tom Kelly or a Buck Showalter story.
2: TK one time, I'm, I'm warming up in Minnesota, and um, his thing was, you know, just do the best you can, son. He would just give you the ball and say, do the best you can. And, well, there's a lefty coming up, and I'm up, and Carlos Carrasco, is that a yeah. the righty? something Carrasco. He's warming up. And Hector Carrasco. TK. TK came out and gave, gave the right hand, and Jim Joyce comes out and goes lefty. And I went, I, I don't think so. And... He looked at TK and TK he goes, no, 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 I wanted the right hand. So now I'm like, well, I guess I can't get lefties out anymore. But TK looked at me and he goes, what the F are you doing out here? I said, well, I'm part to me left. So I did, I back traced all the way back to the round and, and, and sat down and also came back out. But TK TK was just any time, um, the time in Seattle, I come in, bases loaded, get out of it with one run next night, same situation. He's out there talking to all the infielders. And I'm just waiting for him to stop talking. I'm just standing there and he looks at me and goes, what? I go, it looks pretty familiar, doesn't it? He just, he kind of started laughing. You didn't get too many laughs out of TK. And, and Buck, Buck was just, um, he, he wanted to be the little general out there. Um, I think whenever Randy came in with his hair and mustache and Buck tried to stop it, um, I, I went to, into his office and said, wait, just because he's won five Cy so Youngs, and I haven't, doesn't mean that I can't do this and that. We're all here together. And he he got that, and I especially loved him one night when he gave me the ball and said, cha-ching. I went, what? He goes, you got an incentive for this outing, don't you? Sweet, okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so, nice. Uh, uh, Piniella was great. I had in Cleveland, I had Doc Edwards and Corrales. So, I had a lot of managers, a lot of pitching coaches, but more importantly, I had a lot of great teammates. You included Oli and um, Thanks, brother. It, was, it was just um, an awesome time. It's great to see you doing what you're doing now. You, you kind of got to spend some time in Austin over the summer. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: got, I got a little bit. Yeah. I appreciate uh, you and, and, uh, Zonk Keith Moreland, give me a little bit of help and info on the uh, on the Texas boys for the regional. That was, um, that was very helpful, actually, because you know at least I, I knew that they were going to run through the regional and I was going to be seeing them the most, the, the best information I could get. And we had
2: a couple of years ago, we, LSU was in town and we had Mise and, and Ben came in. So we had a three man booth of us three for a LSU series. That was Gosh. a lot of fun. I didn't, was... have to, I didn't have to say much that series.
1: <laughs> no, he, he can talk. Yeah, <laughs> he can talk. Brandon, and text- did you got
2: anything else?
1: Well, no, I'm I'm actually thankful
0: that you guys can talk because that took pressure off me. And uh, if we'll take one more minute, I just gotta I gotta know how was your twins experience overall? Because as a a kid who grew up watching the twins at that time, what was that like to be a twin? You know, it's the Metrodome; they're not real good. Kirby Puckett's gone, so there's not a lot of expectations. What was that like? You just said it. You said it all right there. <laughs>
2: the methadone they weren't that good they weren't expected to do anything but it was still the big leagues you still had to prove yourself day in and day out i was trying to reinvent myself they gave me the opportunity they took my truck off in fort myers the day before the truck's going to minnesota and i'm like great what does what does this mean but they really didn't have enough room on the truck but they were taking another truck up there and i'm like oh man i thought i was done (laughs) the day before i'm packed, my truck's there and i'm like huh? The, what was his name? Uh, Rim, Rim, Rimsy? The, Yeah. The, I mean, it was, it was a great experience, um, to reinvent my career. And it, like you said, it, it, I got to pitch six and a half more years, uh, coming out of the bullpen and eventually landing in Arizona and winning a world series.
0: Good stuff. Well, that's as good a place to end as any. Thank you so much for being a special guest today. Greg Swindell at Greg Swindell on Twitter. Hopefully we can have you again because like with Big Ben, lots of meat left on the bone in terms of uh, subjects to get to. Greg, also Greg Olson at G-R-E-G-G-O-L-S-O-N 30 on Twitter. Thanks again for coming on this week. Uh, Fun show. We'll see what we can do for you guys next week. This is Brandon Warren signing off at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E saying thanks again for checking out that 90s baseball pod powered by Access Twins. We'll catch you next week.